All right. Well, let me ask you to open up in your Bibles and let's look together at the book of Romans in chapter 8. And as you're turning to Romans chapter 8, let me mention, just because it might be of interest to some of you, that we began our study of Romans 8 almost exactly one year ago today. Uh, Today is June 22nd, Jonathan's birthday, and last year on June 23rd is when we began uh, this, this study of Romans 8. This is our 60th message, and we are now about to finish this chapter. Uh, Not just today, we're going to do one more after today. Uh, We're going to have our message today, and then we're going to have one more next week, and we will be done with Romans 8. As I've said before, we will not typically spend 60 sermons on other chapters of the Bible, but I do pray that you have seen over the past year why this chapter is called The Great Eight, and I hope it has become great to you, and that the truths within it have become precious to you, and that your God has become more dear to you because of what we have found in this chapter. I hope you've been encouraged. I hope your faith has been strengthened And I hope that you've seen just how secure a Christian really is in the love of God. And just in case you haven't seen it yet, we do have two more messages to go. And they're going to teach the same theme again. We really are secure as Christians in the love of our God. Um, We're going to begin in verse 35, Romans 8, verse 35. And I will read to the end of the chapter. This is the Word of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so we see the question posed in verse 35. Here is the question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's the question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And it's a huge question. It's an important question. Understand that Paul is not speaking here about the general love of Christ that extends to all people everywhere. There certainly is a very wonderful sense in which Jesus Christ loves every person walking on planet earth, even those who hate His name. 
The very fact that those people are still alive and walking this earth with an opportunity to repent shows that Christ is loving them. But that general love is not what is in view in this passage. What Paul is asking here is this. Who shall separate Christians from the special, saving, redemptive love of Christ? He speaks of us. He's referring to himself. He's referring to the Roman Christians. He's referring to all believers in Christ, including you if you're a Christian, including me. And what is this love that he's referring to? It's the love he's been talking about in the last many verses. It's this love that in verse 28 works all for our good. It's this love that in verse 29 foreknew us and predestined us to salvation. It's the love that in verse 30 forgives us of our sins, gives us peace with God, promises that one day we will be with Jesus. It's the love that according to verse 31 guarantees that God is for us and not against us. It's the love that according to verse 32 promises we will never lack anything we need to make it to heaven safely. According to verse 33, this is the love that ensures that no one can ever charge us with any charge that's going to stick to us on the day of judgment. In verse 34, this is the love that promises that nobody will ever be able to condemn us ultimately or decisively. In other words, the, Paul, the, the, the love that Paul has in mind in this question is the love of God. The love of God for His people, which comes to us through Christ. It is the love of Christ for His bride. This is an awesome, overwhelming, soul-strengthening love. It's what Paul has been talking about in verse after verse after verse. It is a wonderful thing to have this love. And so Paul now wants to ask this question, what can take it away from us? We've been living in love so far in Romans 8, but what if this love can be separated from us? What if there is someone or something that can take us out of this love so that this incredible fortress of love that we we dwell in just tumbles to the ground? Or to put it another way, maybe there's somebody that can come into this fortress of love that we live in and they can grab us and they can put us on their shoulder and they can take us out of it so that we're in danger again. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The issue, as it has been throughout this section of Romans 8, is the issue of security. Whether or not a Christian can lose his salvation. How might that happen? Let's, let's just pretend for a moment. Let's pretend that a Christian can lose his salvation. How would that happen? It would happen by a Christian losing his or her faith. Faith is what unites us to Christ. Faith is what takes Christ's perfect life and His substitutionary death and His great resurrection and intercession. And it, faith brings all of that To us, as we've said many times, a cure for a deadly disease doesn't help the patient if it isn't applied. 
You have to apply the cure for it to help you. Faith takes the cure of Christ Jesus and applies the cure to us so that we are saved. This is the elementary school of the Christian faith. It's John 3.16. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes, believes in Him, should not perish. And so if we're saved by faith in Jesus, wouldn't the way we lose our salvation be by losing our faith in Jesus? And doesn't the New Testament speak of people who swerved from the faith to their own destruction? Doesn't the New Testament speak of people who made shipwreck of their faith? And now Paul was addressing these Roman Christians who had very good reason to fear that they too might lose their faith. As we've discussed before, these Christians were under unusual difficulty and pressure and looming persecution. And these Christians in Rome were probably thinking, what if, what if I lose my faith under the pressure? What if in a moment of weakness I give up this whole Jesus thing? I renounce Him. Paul gives us a list of things that might attempt to squelch our faith and separate us from Jesus. Do you see that list of things that seek to kill your faith in verse 35? Tribulation. That word tribulation literally refers to being crushed, pressed, squeezed. It refers to outside things that come against you and put pressure on you. Then there's that word distress. The word literally refers to a narrow place. It has the idea of being in a tight spot. But unlike tribulation, which refers to external pressure, this word refers to internal anguish, to internal discomfort. Persecution. That word, of course, means harm being done to you because of your faith and because of your stand for righteousness. Famine and nakedness go together. As if Paul is asking, will your faith survive if you lack the most basic things you need? If you have no food to eat? If you find yourself with no clothes to wear? Will you still trust and follow Christ then? Will you still hold on to your faith in those circumstances? Danger is a general word referring to any kind of peril. Physical peril. Spiritual peril. And then last but not least, Paul mentions the sword. The threat of death. And let me remind you again that these Christians in Rome were going to be facing the reality that they could be killed for following the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, some of them who heard this letter, read in their church, almost certainly were killed for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this was a huge question for these Christians. Would they hold fast to Christ when all they had to say was, Caesar es curiae, Caesar is Lord, and they would be let go? Christians in the Colosseum 
We're made to act out stories from Roman mythology. Sometimes Christians were tied to the horns of a bull and dragged to death, honoring the story of Dursi. Christian girls in the Colosseum were often publicly raped and then murdered, honoring the story of the Danaids. And so these Christians were, at, were being asked, renounce Christ and live. Hold fast to Christ and experience a death like this. Would they give up their faith? And if they give up their faith, have they lost the love of God in Christ Jesus? Is it possible that they could be separated from this love that Paul has been explaining to them. Paul emphasizes this more by quoting from Psalm 44, verse 22. You see the quote there in verse 36. Do you see it? Verse 36. As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. In other words, this persecution was not something new coming against God's people. Since the days of Cain and Abel, those who sought to follow God have always had to fear those who reject God. God's people have always been under attack. The threats that Paul mentions in verse 35, they're not just first century A.D. threats. They go all the way back to Cain and Abel and they come all the way up to 2014. These are threats that real Christians face right now. Some of them you are facing, and some of them your brothers and sisters are facing around the world on this day. And so here's the question for you and me. Against all of these things, and against whatever might come to us in this life, might our faith fail, and we find ourselves forever cut off from the love of Christ? Might we find ourselves in hell? under the wrath of God. Or to use Paul's words, shall anything separate us from the love of Christ? Mount Hermon, I love easy answers. I love short answers. Do you see Paul's answer there in verse 37? No. No. It's right there. There it is. Shall any believer ever find his faith completely squelched and himself cut off from Christ's love? Paul's answer, no. It won't happen. No man, no woman, no boy, no girl who has ever been united to Christ by faith shall ever fear losing their salvation. They are eternally secure in the love of Christ. John 10, 27, 28, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. John 6, 40, This is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life and I will raise Him up on the last day. But how can Paul be so sure? How can Paul say with such confidence that nothing is ever going to separate a Christian from the love of Christ? 
Look at the reason he gives in verse 37. No, in all these things, in all of verse 35, in all of this list of threats, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Paul says Christians will conquer. All of these enemies come against us. And the great goal of these enemies is to destroy our faith and to cut us off from the love of Christ, but we will defeat them. We will conquer. Their great agenda will fail. Christians will come to the end of their lives still trusting Jesus, blessing His name, loving Him above all else. How can Paul be so sure? Because we will conquer through Christ who loved us. It is Jesus who keeps His people saved. It is Christ who gave you your faith in the beginning and Christ will not let your faith be lost. Your faith may lessen for a season. Your faith may wane for a little period of time. But dear Christian, your faith will never completely disappear. Jesus will not let your feet slip. He will hold on to you. He will keep you believing. Romans 11.29 The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Meaning, He doesn't give you faith and then take it back. He doesn't change His mind. It was God who gave you a new heart and the faith to trust in Jesus. And He will never let that faith disappear altogether from your heart. Hebrews 12 verse 2 makes it clearer than perhaps any other verse in the Bible. We are taught there to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Or as the ESV puts it, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the founder and the giver of your faith. He is also the finisher and the perfecter of your faith. Dear Christian, do not fear. Your faith will be upheld by one much stronger than you. Your faith was a gift of grace from the beginning, and Christ will graciously supply it to you day after day after day till the day you die and you reach heaven securely. Jesus will not lose one of the sheep that His Father has given to Him. Mount Hermon, when you begin to doubt, when you begin to despair, preach this to yourself. Speak to those doubts. Speak to that despair. Remind them that they are defeated enemies. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. You will conquer by faith. You are sure, for your hope is in Jesus Christ who never fails. Notice that in verse 37, the word loved is in the past tense. No, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Now certainly Jesus loves us right now in the present tense. Back in verse 34, we saw that Jesus is at this moment interceding at the right hand of God for us. Jesus loves us right now. But Paul is not pointing in this verse to the present love of Christ. He's pointing to that great act in the past. 
the cross. Paul is saying, how can you doubt that Jesus is going to keep you saved when you see what He has already done for you? That He went to the cross for you. Do you really think that the one who endured so much for you and suffered so much on your behalf is going to let you be beaten by famine or nakedness or sword? In verse 32, this was the logic used of God the Father. Verse 32, if God the Father was willing to give up His Son for you, how can you doubt He will care for you? Now that same logic is being used of Jesus. If Jesus was loved you so much that He was willing to die for you, do you really think He's going to let famine kill your faith? Do you really think He's going to let persecution kill your faith and pull you away from Him? He's not going to do it. Now at this point, I want to make sure that we all understand that Paul is not writing about this from an ivory tower where he's detached and disconnected from these things. In fact, Paul lived just like you and me. He lived in the trenches. He lived with these threats. He knew what it was to face real troubles and real struggles every day. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and chapter 12, Paul mentions some of the sufferings that he went through as he sought to obey Jesus and take the gospel to the world. And listen to this. Every threat that he mentions in Romans 8.35... He mentions in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12 that he himself faced as he sought to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of them, except one. Paul himself personally experienced every one of those threats in verse 35, except one. When he speaks of Jesus upholding his people, and keeping them believing in the face of of tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger, Paul is speaking from his own personal experience. Yes, he is speaking as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's also speaking as someone who has been there. Someone who, even as he was writing this, was still facing those threats and knew how Jesus was upholding him. What was the one item that Paul had not yet faced in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12? It was the sword. It was death itself. Paul had not yet experienced that. But he would. If Christian tradition is true, in just a few years after he wrote this letter, he himself was brought to Rome and he was beheaded under Emperor Nero. And yet what did Paul say about death? 1 Corinthians 15, 54, 57, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore Paul was able to say, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Mount Hermon, what does it mean that we are conquerors through Jesus Christ? One thing it means is that you are going to make it to the end of your life still believing on Jesus. And everything that came against you to kill your faith will have failed. And then, of course, after a great battle, there's the spoils of war. There's the plunder. And guess what you get? as the conqueror. 
You see, in the book of Revelation, Jesus speaks again and again and again about what's going to be given to those who conquer. Just, just listen to this. Revelation 2.7, To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Revelation 2.11, To the one who conquers, he will not be hurt by the second death. That's hell. Revelation 2.17, To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Excuse me. Revelation 2.26 To the one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, I will give him authority over all the nations. Revelation 3.5 To the one who conquers, he will be clothed in white garments. I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. Revelation 3.12 To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Revelation 3.21 To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Revelation 21.7 To the one who conquers, he will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. Mount Hermon, do you see how incredible a thing it is to be a conqueror through the Lord Jesus Christ? But, we're not yet done. If to conquer means that we're going to make it to the end of our lives still believing... And we're going to receive all of these wonderful gifts from the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? Paul says we are more than conquerors. He doesn't just say that we're conquerors. He he ratchets it up a notch. He, He takes it to a greater level. He says we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. What does that mean? To be more than conquerors. Let me close this message by suggesting two ways that Christians are more than conquerors. First, at the end of our race, we will see that not only have we defeated our enemies, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, we will not only have defeated them, we will have annihilated them. Think about a typical battle or a typical war. Two sides fight each other, but the losers still get to go home. In the Revolutionary War, Britain and America fought against each other. The British were defeated, but the British still went home. And they went home to remain our friend or our foe in the future. And right now, thankfully, they're our, they're our friend. In World War II, we fought Germany along with the other Axis powers. And Germany was defeated. But Germany still got to go home. And Germany still exists to be our our friend or our foe. And thankfully right now they're our our friend. 
In a typical fight, somebody conquers, but the loser still goes home to fight another day. Not so, Christian, with your fight against tribulation and distress and famine and nakedness and persecution and danger and sword. These things will be annihilated to never, ever, ever fight against you again. When Jesus comes back and He makes all things new, these things will cease to exist. They won't even be anymore. When we speak about famine or nakedness or danger or persecution, we will be thinking about some extinct thing like the dodo bird, right? The woolly mammoth. We've, we've heard about them a long time ago. They existed no more. That is how complete our conquering will be through Christ Jesus who loved us. You won't have to fear any of these things in the new heavens and the new earth. And then there's a second way that we are more than conquerors. A second way that we are more than conquerors. You see, when we get to heaven and we look back at our life here on earth, we're going to see something astounding. When we look back on the fight that we fought, we will see that those enemies that Paul listed in verse 35 not only failed to separate us from Jesus' love and failed to destroy our faith, and these things not only failed to keep us out of heaven, but these things actually became the means by which we made it to heaven. Friends, what does Jesus use to keep you believing? How about tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger? The very enemies that come against you to destroy your faith are the very things Jesus uses to build your faith, to humble you, to cause you to draw near to Him. 1 Peter 1, verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What does that paragraph teach? It teaches that Jesus uses trials and tribulations to bring you safely to heaven. He uses the very things that come against you in order to do you good. How does Jesus keep His people saved? He humbles them and He refines them through trials. Paul says he prayed three times for God to remove that thorn from His flesh, whatever it was. And God would not remove that thorn. And then Paul stopped praying. Why? Because he realized that God had sent that thorn with a good purpose. That that thorn was keeping him from becoming prideful. That thorn was keeping him from becoming conceited. That thorn was there for the good of Paul's soul, for his faith, that he wouldn't make shipwreck of it. Friends, when your enemies are actually pawns being used for your victory, that's being more than a conqueror. And this is true for all of those who believe 
on the Lord Jesus Christ. Unbelievers, run to this Lord and Savior. You will never have true safety until you have come to be united to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. Every moment you live outside of Christ, you are in danger. You are in true peril. There is no security for the non-Christian. Have a heart attack today. Boom! You're in hell. No security for the non-Christian. But for the Christian, there is an awesome security. Everything is working for our good. We are more than conquerors. And we will live in the presence of our Savior forever. Do not reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust Him and follow Him. Let's pray.